when we're talking about client experience, we're not just talking about delivering good legal service. We're talking about really understanding what are the challenges and what can we do to address them so that our clients see us as strong business advisors who help them and not just lawyers that they have to have to get some to get their real business done. I'm Chad May, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about the intersection of technology and the practice of law, where each week we'll talk to a different mover or shaker in the legal and technology field. We'll learn a little about them, what they've been up to, and hopefully get some real-world tips that will help lawyers better use technology in their legal practices. You just heard from Angie Hickey. She's the CEO of the Chicago-based law firm Levenfeld Perlstein. I was lucky enough to sit down with her for this episode and talk about the benefits of having people with business backgrounds have a say in how a law firm is run. I got the idea for this episode after reading an article on Bloomberg's Big Law. I'll put a link to that article on our webpage, which is tlpodcast.com. But the gist of the article was that there's a trend in law firms to hire people with business backgrounds to help run the law firms. When I started looking for a guest to talk about this topic... I was connected to Angie. When I did some digging on her background and on Levenfield Pearlstein, I found out that they are way ahead of the curve on this issue. Angie's been with the firm for almost 19 years. She's a CPA, she has an MBA, and she's risen all the way to CEO position after starting with the firm in the finance department. I was hired into Levenfeld Pearlstein as the director of finance. So I came up through finance and I have grown to now oversee all of the operations and, and finance. I am in charge of developing the firm's strategy in um, organizational design. Um, I sit on the executive committee, on the compensation committee, so we design, I design compensation structures. So all of the things that in many law firms' committees do, my team does. I and my team do. In her role as CEO, Angie has quite a bit of decision-making authority. She also has her hand in decisions made around some pretty important aspects of the firm's business. So I have responsibility over compensation and resources and structuring for every staff person not, who is not a lawyer. I have complete authority over that. For all of the lawyers, I am a voice on the compensation committee. It's a relatively small committee, but I have a lot of influence in that but no one person in our firm makes those decisions. So that's one example. Compensation is always such a big issue that people want to know about. That's an example of the authority I have. But my uh, my background is accounting, as you know, um, and I've oriented my firm away from nitpicking line items on the income statement. And often the line items deal with people. Why do we need a person for that? What does that person do? And I orient around a profit margin. And I maintain, and my firm supports, that as long as we have a profit margin of X, then leave me alone. Like, let me do what I need to do. And it shouldn't matter how much I'm paying this person or how much, what kind of resource I have over here. Let that's my responsibility. You tr- you've entrusted me with that. You've hired me to do that. Now let me do my job. Now if the profit, if we have agreed upon benchmarks that are not being met, then I deserve to be micromanaged and come in and you know see the decisions that I'm making. But as long as I'm making decisions and creating structures that are supporting our agreed upon targets, um, then it works. 
So many of the people on Angie's team are not lawyers. And that's the whole point. Law firms aren't always run like good businesses. When I asked Angie about her take on this, I fell into the trap of using the term, air quotes, non-lawyers. It's a mistake, admittedly, but I think some people are too sensitive about the way that term is used. But I wholeheartedly agree from the premise from which that sensitivity arises. A lot of people don't want to admit it, but many law firms run like a caste system. Either you're a lawyer or you're not a lawyer, and the lawyers are treated with more respect than others. However, this is an antiquated notion, and as we talked about in other podcasts, just isn't consistent with the way laws practice in the 21st century. You need more than just a legal background to handle cases nowadays. You may need project management skills. You may need people with tech skills. And as we're talking about in this podcast, it is also helpful to have people with business skills. No one likes to be called anything that right. starts with the word non. And right. so um, when I look at other law firms, I see that they're all being run by non-MBAs. I mean, people go to business school to learn how to run organizations. Law firms are complex organizations that require thoughtful strategies and knowledge of how organizations are structured and what works and what doesn't. Um, so I think Levenfeld Perlstein was actually ahead of the game in putting together a team, you know, two decades ago instead of now law firms are really starting to invest in the structure, which is good, and I'm happy to see that, but it takes a lot of work. Um, so I feel like we're at a bit of an advantage because we've had such a long history of this type of structure. Not only did Levenfeld figure out it was a good idea to involve talented people with experience and know-how outside of the legal industry, the firm also figured out it was a good idea to get out of their way so they could work their magic and put their expertise to use. So decision-making in law firms is actually um, a very interesting issue. And law firm governance structures are, are all over the board. And we have invested in my position and in the positions of my team um, decision-making authority. So we don't just implement ideas um, of the other lawyers. We actually present the ideas, vet the ideas, get input, um, help sell why this is valuable for the firm and importantly for our firm's clients because our business strategy is all about the client experience, the experience that our clients are having. That is our competitive business strategy. And I know we'll talk more about that, but everything in our firm is organized around the experience of our clients, which is like a business. There's a lot of other businesses that are organized in that fashion. And so we hire talented people with proven experience and we give them the runway that they need to perform. And I believe these people exist in other law firms, but the governance structure often gets in the way of them fulfilling their potential. So we've talked to Angie for a few minutes now about why it's good to have business people involved in running a law firm. She's already alluded to one of the main reasons, and that's a business person's focus on making sure that the client experience is the best it can be. As I reflected on my talk with Angie after the fact, I figured out there were three concepts that she talked about consistently and there are three concepts that come from a business angle. Number one is making sure the client experience is the best it can be. 
The second concept Angie will talk about quite a bit in this podcast is making sure there are systems in place to ensure that the client experience is the best it can be. And the third concept she'll talk about is taking feedback from these systems to make sure that you are improving the way the work is done. As I thought more about it, and thought about the law firms that I worked at, I could only think of two systems that were in place, one for checking conflicts and two for getting paid. When you have a law firm, a collection of lawyers, it's an organization that requires structure, it requires some parameters, it requires some goals. You know, somebody has to be looking at these things. Otherwise, what happens is a breakdown in the client experience because if you just have a collection of independent lawyers working, um, and not in a, not towards a common goal, the client experience breaks down, and that can lead to client um, dissatisfaction, clients leaving, and that goes into a host of whole other challenges, pricing being the number one of those. So if you're not distinguishing yourself on a client experience, then you have to be the lowest cost provider because there's a lot of competition in this industry. And so it's helpful to have somebody thinking about what should our business strategy be and then creating structures to actually execute that business strategy. As you can see, Levenfeld Perlstein is pretty serious about making sure the client experience is the best it can be. They're so serious, they've designed a program called the LP Way. It's five principles and the focus, drum roll please, is on the client experience. So we created the LP Way, which is a common language in our firm. It's the execution of our business strategy, which is to deliver a consistent and unparalleled client experience. And it's five steps, and we've been it's on our website. Um, but I'll just tell you, each of the steps is based is grounded in solid business principle with lots of studies to support it. Um, the beauty of it is that it is simple and that people can understand it. I'll just go through the steps very quickly, and I brought a book for you if you'd like to have it. Um, The first step is to attract and retain talent. So you have to, if you don't have good people, it's, it's game over. You can't even get out of the gate. You have to invest in attracting and retaining talent. You can't be short-sighted. You can't be cheap. Um, you can't be dismissive of what people need and want. This is a people business, and so you have to invest a lot into attracting and retaining talent. The second step of the LP way is to lead by example. Um, practice what you preach. Walk the talk. If you, you can say you have non-negotiable values, but if the people in positions of powers don't, power don't model those values, then no one else is going to believe them or support them or try to do them either. And if everything can break down if we don't walk the talk. Um, the third step of the LP way is to cultivate effective practice groups. This, is, this means that we have to have well-managed business units. So each practice group is like its own small business unit. Again, a common practice in regular businesses outside of the legal industry. Um, there's lots of models to follow. How do you have an effectively managed business unit and what structures are required and what kind of communication channels? So we, we get into all of that. Um, the fourth step of the LP way is to align systems. Um, this is actually my job in a nutshell is step four. 
um, making sure that all the systems work together. And I'm not talking about back office, IT functions, records, um, office services. Of course, those things need to work well. I, but I'm talking about the governance system. The So who's in positions of leadership and what are the succession plans to that? I'm talking about the promotions and the development systems, the compensation systems. They're, these things are all systems, and there's a lot of structure that can make sure that they align with the values of the firm as well as with the business strategy. And so our systems are aligned toward and oriented around building a consistent client experience. Um, so that's actually, there's a lot. Um, I'll just share with you that that particular step is built on the McKinsey 7S model, if any of your listeners are familiar with that. And then the final step is to ask for feedback. Um, you can say, this is everything we should do and we'll have a good strategy, but how do you know you're really doing it? So we have a lot of surveys, interviews, internally, externally with our clients, with our strategic business advisors and partners. Um, so anytime you interact with LP, likely someone will ask you somewhere along the way, how was your experience? What can we do better next time? Did we miss something? Um, always looking for the opportunity to improve because it is a process of continuous improvement. We're going to step away from my talk with Angie for just a few minutes, because now it's time in the podcast for the segment in which I talk to a legal tech founder. Today, we're going to talk to Michael Chasen. He's a co-founder of Lexicata. That's a CRM and client intake tool made specifically for lawyers. Before I launched Percipient, I, like most lawyers, didn't spend enough time thinking about marketing, so I had no idea what CRM stood for. It stands for Customer Relationship Management. Having Michael on this particular episode of the podcast is perfect because we've been talking about how it's good to apply business principles to the way law firms are run. As part of that conversation, Angie's talked a lot about systems and structure. And that's exactly what Lexicata does. It helps lawyers put a system and structure in place for them to look for new business, track leads, and it also helps them streamline the client intake process. Michael, tell us a little bit about Lexicata. Yeah, so Lexicata, essentially what we are is a contact management and a client intake software. So effectively what we focus on is helping law firms, utilizing our software, allowing law firms to manage uh, their prospective clients from the time that they first uh, connect with them to the time that they actually retain them. So anything from lead tracking to email marketing, online intake forms, consultation scheduling, engagement letter automation, and electronic signature, all that kind of stuff. So we make the process really streamlined and efficient and uh, help lawyers kind of maximize the leads that they get in the door. So what inspired you to create the product? Yeah, so actually kind of roundabout way to getting here, you know, pretty typical, uh, you know, startup story of the pivot. Um, my business partner and I were in law school. It was kind of like a pivot like multiple times. And uh, him and I basically were coming up for ideas for business. We landed on something good. And uh, we basically tried to find some lawyers to help us get there. We needed to have like an ethical lawyer. We needed to also have a business formation lawyer, um, also like uh, just an IT lawyer. And we kept trying to look around. And even though we were in law school, it was really difficult to find lawyers. So we kind of figured out that was a better idea. So essentially what we did was we built a marketplace for lawyers and clients. And then from there, after doing that for about a year or two, it went pretty well, raised the money, had a bunch of clients, had a bunch of lawyers on the platform. And so we kind of saw a consistent problem, which was um, the lawyers weren't being retained by the client. 
And we went to the clients and said, hey, why aren't you retaining these lawyers? And they said, well, you know, your platform is really good. But as soon as I get connected with the lawyer, they ask me to fill out a PDF document and print all this stuff off, bring it to the office, check. And, you know, we're not always close to each other. So it just makes it really difficult. So I ended up just going with a friend, friend um, because, they, you know, because they, I knew them already. So that was the first thing. We kind of had created Uber. Um, but a crappy version of it where you order the Uber, they show up and then they ask you to pay with cash. It just kind of wasn't a smooth experience. And then the other side was, were the, uh, were the lawyers. So we would ask the lawyers, like, what, you know, what are you doing? And they basically would tell us, I will send one message to the prospective client, tell them about my services. And if they want to retain me, they can. If not, I don't do anything. And for us as like salespeople, and especially for me, because I have a background in finance and sales, I thought that was absolutely mind-blowing, that their version of selling was, here's my business. If you want it, take it. If you don't, like, whatever. And so we basically figured out that no lawyer was using a CRM or a sales platform. So everyone was using case management. Nobody was using, you know, sales or lead management. That's basically where the genesis of Lexicata came. It originally started with just, like, online intake forms and e-signature, and it blossomed into a full-fledged referral, referral tracking um, contact management and compliance software. Yeah, it's interesting. It's real interesting. So tell me, is Lexicata for every lawyer, all lawyers, no matter the practice area? Who's the who's it best suited for? Yeah, so um, we kind of run the gambit. Our software is super flexible. We have thousands of firms across 20 plus countries around the world. So you could imagine we kind of suit a lot of different um, a lot a lot of different firms. Um, I say our bread and butter is um, anywhere from a solo up to around a hundred to two hundred lawyer firm. Um, it's kind of super flexible. I say our average firm is more of like the one to twenty range, um, and then uh, and and tends to be firms that either want to create a really good client experience, so like a high end estate planning firm, or a firm that do, does a decent amount of volume. Right? If you're if you're processing um, more than like ten or so potential clients a week. You need a place to track them because over the course of a year, you're talking about three, four, five hundred leads a year that you're getting in the door. You have a place to track them. So as long as you're not like a suit, we basically cater to pretty much any type of firm, unless you're like an insurance defense firm or unless you're like a straight solo that gets like two clients a month. Um, other than that, we pretty much uh, are a good fit for most of the other firms outside of that. I'm a big fan of the product, so it's good talking to you today. So if people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Yeah, best way is just go to lexicata.com. Uh, obviously, you can request more information there. Um, if they want to shoot me a, a, a direct message, they can always find me on LinkedIn, just Michael Chasen, C-H-A-S-I-N. Let's get back to my talk with Angie. When we left off, Angie just filled us in about the LP way. That's a series of principles and steps the firm uses to make sure their client experience is the best it can be. The last step in the LP way focused on gathering feedback and continuous improvement. I asked Angie how they gathered feedback at LP. She said they went straight to the source. They talk to clients. You have to ask your clients to inform your business strategy. And a lot of, there's a lot of resistance. Even today, even though many law firms do have interviews and surveys of their clients, which is progress, most do not. Um, it's, it's sad, actually. It's missing such an opportunity to really inform decisions that should be made in the business of the law firm. But what do we do specifically is we have client interviews, in-person interviews. We also ask for feedback when we have programming for our clients and on our website and, and things like that. But most of the um, 
valuable content is received through the interview process. We, um, our managing partner goes out and interviews clients directly. We also engage with an outside partner to do that for us. LP doesn't just collect feedback from clients. It also collects internal feedback. That way, they can improve their internal operations to make sure the employee experience is just as good as the client experience. We have a couple of surveys inside the firm. The one that receives the most attention is our partner survey. And everyone in the firm responds to questions about every single partner. And the results are published. And so it's a very strong accountability tool. And we ask questions about our core values. Does this partner, you know, adhere to our values on collaboration? You know, so we will ask hard questions like, does this person share origination credit fairly? And partners are asked to answer that question about each other. So there's actually three versions of the partner survey. One is a peer-to-peer, so partners answer questions about each other. The Another is... Um, junior to senior, so associates and paralegals answer questions about the partner. Is the partner invested in my development? Does the partner communicate effectively? Does the partner let me know, you know, in ad- well in advance so I have time to actually meet the deadline? But how does this partner manage his matters and it, or her matters? Um, and then there's another version of the survey um, that goes to everyone else in the firm, and this is more of c- general citizenship questions, but. The most famous or infamous question we have is, does this partner adhere to our no-asshole rule? We have, uh, it's a non-negotiable value. We expect people to treat each other with respect and civility, and there is, bad behavior is not tolerated. And this tool has been a very effective accountability measure for that. But we have other surveys as well. We also have a leadership survey, you know, how is the leadership of the firm doing? And we ask people how their experience is. We have stay interviews. You know, oftentimes you interview people on the way in, you exit interview people on the way out, but the people who you count on day after day and who have been here for such a long time and are so valuable, they're, they're, you know, ingrained in our client relationships, they know things about our firm. Um, we ask them, how is your experience? What keeps you here? What can we do better? What can we learn from you? Um, We're constantly asking people inside and outside the firm, how is your experience? What can we do better? So when you get the feedback and response from these surveys, do you do anything with it or is it just going to read it? Publish it. We publish it and then I hold, um, twice a year I hold a session called Ask Angie. And anyone in the firm can come and ask me any question about anything. And it could be as small as, and this is an actual question, can we please have pomegranate green tea in the kitchens to as large as, you know, what is the firm's growth strategy? Or are we going to get bonuses this year? You know, it's just we encourage people to get off of their chest any burning questions uh, or resentments that they have um, because if they are holding on to something, it gets in the way of delivering our client experience. If there was one thing Angie and I talked about that best exemplified the difference between the way lawyers and business people think, it's when I asked Angie how the firm uses technology to enhance the client experience. She told me the story of a client that was struggling with document management issues. The lawyer on the case, as he or she should be, was focused primarily on solving legal problems on behalf of the client. 
The lawyer didn't think that the document management issue was a legal problem and therefore didn't really have many solutions to offer. However, in stepped a business person from the firm and a solution was hatched. They would permit the client access to the firm's document management system. Problem solved. We have a client, and through our client experience inquiries, we realized that this client had a very big challenge with managing their documents. It was a fast-paced environment, um, relatively um, relatively small staff, but highly successful, lots of revenue, very fast-paced, that they couldn't keep up with what version of what document. They had a lot of agreements with their clients. So the partner on this account said, well, you know, gee, that, hope you, good luck with that, you know, because that's not a legal issue. That's not a legal problem. But because we allowed other people to be part of the client relationship, someone on my team said, well, why don't we just let this client attach to um, our own document management system through a secure portal so it's only their piece of it, but then they can use our technology. So that's what we built and that's what we did. And of course, all of the privacy measures are in place. And then we also docketed some of the deadlines for this client through our docketing system. And now they enter through a secure portal and they can run their business through data on our systems. And the client said, we can never leave you now. That's the, that's the best thing a law firm wants to hear is we can never leave you now. And of course, if we did something really bad, they'd find a way. We have to still perform. But when we're talking about client experience, we're not just talking about delivering good legal service. We're talking about really understanding what are the challenges and what can we do to address them so that our clients see us as strong business advisors who help them and not just lawyers that they have to have to get some to get their real business done. So in today's episode, we've talked about several reasons why it's good to have business people involved in helping to run a law firm. But at the end of the day, What's the main and best reason for involving business people? It helps lawyers do what they do best, focus on practicing law. Well, I think one of the main benefits is that the lawyers get to do what they like to do, which is practice law and spend time with their clients. It's often the bottom of of the list when the lawyers have management responsibilities, and um, it requires a lot of thoughtful perspective and research, and it's work. It's a lot of work to run a large organization. And so I think the primary benefit is that the lawyers get to serve the clients and do what they love to do and what they are best at. And so a lot of business strategy is about putting resources in places where they can serve their highest and best use. And so you have to ask, is it really a lawyer's highest and best use to develop strategy, to execute business plans. Maybe it is, but most often um, it's the the lawyer's highest and best use to do those kinds of things with their clients. I think law firms really need to examine what does it mean to be a partner? What is your job? What What should you be involved with? What shouldn't you be involved with? I think it starts there. I think um, historically partners have been the decision makers, um, law firms used to be a lot smaller, so it was easier to, you know, feel like you were the master of your own destiny. destiny. Um, those 
days are gone. Even if the law firm size is still relatively small, the complexity of the business is still quite large and needs to be addressed as a business. And if there are lawyers who are willing to do that, it's at a cost and they're giving up something else. And some lawyers are okay with that, but many lawyers would rather practice, serve their clients well, come up with creative solutions for their clients, understand their clients' business. And guess what? That's what's actually going to drive growth and revenue when you serve your clients really, really well. So this episode's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can catch us on most major podcast platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. I hope you will tune in to our next episode where we talk to Gabe Tenenbaum of Suffolk University. He's the director of their Institute on Legal Innovation and Technology. They're doing some pretty cool stuff there, so you won't want to miss that one. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.